elementary, high school. Can, and, and this is a question for everyone. Who was your favorite teacher? Now, no pressure here. We do have some teachers here. So if anybody wants to speak up and name one of them, that'd be really cool. Uh, Don, I saw your hand go up. He's getting basketball all of a sudden. Miss Claus, okay. Her daughter's sitting right behind you, so she'll report that. Do you have her next year or something? Maybe that's why. Anyone else? Your favorite teacher? Jim. Mary Ruth. All right. Mary Ruth. That should, we should uh, probably have several people say Mary Ruth. See someone in the back. Miss Babcock. Okay. Tilly, I saw your hand go. None of them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You love people being honest. I tell you, just love people being honest. And so let, let's stop and pray for her teacher this year. I don't know who that is, but uh, uh, up until my senior year in high school, without a doubt, hands down, if you'd asked me who my favorite teacher was, I, I, I would have given one answer, Mr. Ponca, Otto Ponca. In fact, I, I remember uh, one of the things I, I liked about him, uh, one of our classmates pointed this out that told him one day, Mr. Ponca, your name's your name uh, spelled inside out is tutu. Something about it, auto inside out's tutu. So uh, I love Mr. Ponca. He was he was a blast. He taught English and Spanish. Now I'll be honest. All I remember from I had one year of Spanish with Mr. Ponca. I remembered como uh, como estas, how are you, and uh, uh, Tio Pablo, Uncle Paul. I don't know why I remember those things. I've used como estas several times. I've yet to meet a Uncle Paul in Mexico. Um, I hope to someday meet someone's Uncle Paul so I can, can call him that. But, but I loved his classes. He was fun. He had a great sense of humor. His tests were easy. He graded on a curve. Take some notes here, teachers, if you want to be a favorite. You could get him distracted. And some days we wouldn't even have a lesson at all. Uh, also your superintendent's in the back, so be careful taking notes, uh, today, guys. Uh, but you could get him distracted. We would just talk. He loved Arkansas. He was an Arkansas Razorback. And you get you ask him about the Razorbacks, and he would talk about Arkansas football, the whole class, and we wouldn't do anything. I loved Mr. Ponky. He was he was my favorite teacher. Up until he got fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, imagine that. And he was replaced with my least favorite teacher in high school, Mrs. Jones. She was everything Mr. Ponca was not. She wasn't fun. She was a disciplinarian. She didn't have a sense of humor. She was stern. She didn't grade on a curve. Whatever you tested, whatever your grade was, that was your grade. She didn't give us days off. We had a lesson every single day, complete with homework to do once we got home. I can still remember the moans and groans that echoed through the classroom. I I remember them because I was one of the ones moaning and groaning when she started the second semester with with our big assignment for the semester, and that was going to be a 20 to 25-page term paper. Mr. Ponkin never had us write term papers, and we were going to have to, and not only that, this is going to be the majority of our grade. Without a doubt, hands down, Mrs. Jones was my favorite teacher. Now, not really that year, but the next year when I went to college, Mrs. Jones became my favorite teacher. When I tested out of 
uh, out of basic English into an advanced English class that I only had to take for a semester at college instead of uh, some of my friends having to take the uh, the whole year of English. Uh, boy, she became one of my favorite teachers. When, when I sat down with a lot of my classes the first day of class and they handed out the syllabus, and I didn't know what a syllabus was till uh, they handed it out, and, and you look down there and almost every class required at least one, two, three term papers. And boy, she became my favorite teacher. Her, her class was tough. There was some heavy stuff in it. There, there, there were some difficult days because of how she taught, but but her teaching prepared me as well as several of my classmates that went on to college. It prepared us in a very practical way with what we were going to face next uh, when we got to college. We're going to look today, um, and 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 in one Sunday we're going to look at the book of Romans. Now, if, if you're familiar with Romans, it's 16 chapters long. And you're like, there's no way, and, and yeah, we're not going to look at the whole book, obviously. But, but we're going to take a peek at the book of Romans this morning. Um, and, and what I want to do is, is point out a couple things and land at the practical. The, the book of Romans, quite honestly, if you've read it, uh, you, you might agree with me. If you've not read it, I, I would challenge you to sit down and, and over the next week or two weeks, just read few, through the, uh, the chapters of Romans, and you'll, you'll probably agree that it's a fairly heavy book. There, there's a lot of important stuff. Uh, uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it's a valuable, powerful book, but there's, there's some heavy teaching in the book of Romans and there, there's some difficult lessons and you're going to hear some stuff that's not easy to, to, to hear. You're going to hear Paul talk about some things, but, but it's an important book for us to, to get to. Uh, Paul had written this book to a group of Christians that had formed churches in Rome. In fact, Paul had never met these people. Uh, they had become Christians probably on the day of Pentecost, way back in the, the, the second chapter of Acts, the, the first Christians that, that had come to follow Jesus, and they had taken their faith back to Rome with them. And so these Jewish Christians be, began to believe, and they started some other churches, and, and Gentiles had joined them in the church as well. And so Paul wrote them this book, and in the first 11 chapters, Paul had talked about some heavy stuff. Paul had talked about some valuable, important stuff, but 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 it was foundational things. And then when he gets to chapter 12, and that's where we're going to land this morning. When we get to chapter 12, he talks about some practical stuff, and we're going to look at that. But let me point out a couple things that Paul talked about earlier in the book. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans. We're just going to walk through a couple chapters and read just a few verses. Romans chapter 1. Paul talked about that, that the gospel was for everyone. The gospel was for all of us, not just the Jew. It was important to the churches at Rome the Jewish Christians at Rome understood this. In, in Romans chapter 116, he says, Paul says, this is a cool verse. It's an underlinable verse here. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul talked about judgment in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Paul talked that there's going to be judgment. He says this in verse 5 of chapter 2, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That's not, that's not, that's tough stuff there. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Uh, he, he talks about the fact that we have all sinned over in chapter three, verse 23. Paul just kind of lays out there. You're probably familiar with this verse. Probably have it underlined in your Bibles. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he goes on in chapters five, 
uh, and one and two there says, but therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're, we're all sinners, but, but there's some hope and there's some grace that is ours through whom we have gained access by faith in this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And, and chapter six, uh, verse eight, there he says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In chapter 6, verse 23, he says this, For the wages of sin is death. Remember, he said that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He, he talks in this book about some heavy stuff. But then he comes to chapter 12. He comes to chapter 12 and he gets really, he gets really practical. And, and we're going to look this morning, he points out three things, I, I, I see anyway, in the first half of chapter 12, three, three simple things that teach us about, uh, uh, about God, about ourselves, and about other people, and let's, let's walk through those. They can all be summed up uh, by this idea, it's the title of our sermon today, this idea of sincere love. So first, the first we, thing we see is, is, is how we see God. It's the first thing we learn from these verses in a practical sense. So chapter 12 Verses one and two. Now, these verses are probably going to be very familiar to you. These, these are verses. In fact, I could probably spend two to three weeks just talking about these verses. I'm not going to do that today. We're just going to, we're just going to touch on them and find, kind of glean what we can about God from these verses. I'm going to read them. And as I read them, I want you to look for two words. There's two words that jump off the text in, in these couple verses that just jump off the page at me. Um, and and I'm going to ask you, so it's going to be a test. So I'm going to ask you if you can get these two words. Uh, let me go ahead and throw this out. There's no wrong answer on this. So if you get a different one than me, that's fine. Uh, the, what he says there in, in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, now look for these two words. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There, there, there is a lot of good stuff there. We don't have time for all of it, only for two of the words. Uh, anyone want to throw, throw something out? Two words that jump off. Again, no wrong answer. You just may have a different answer than me. And, and if you've got an answer, then take that and run with that for your own application. Anyone want to throw out a couple words that you think I might be thinking about? Anyone? Living sacrifice. Great. Not the one I'm thinking of, but great. That's a whole nother sermon. Mercy. Ding, ding, ding. Boy, I wish I had a prize for you. Uh, in view of God's mercy. That kind of sets the whole, everything else is going to happen. That kind of sets it up. In view of God's mercy. So, so that's one. Someone else, just throw another one out there. Anyone? You got another one. See if you get two. Holy. Uh, close. Boy, you're one for two. Not too bad. Doesn't have one. Okay, you're gonna have to wait to get this one. I'll share it with you in just a second. So, so here's the here's the first one. Tells us about who God is and how we see God in view of His mercy. In view of His mercy. So He's been talking about a lot of stuff in these first eleven chapters, and He and He kind of brings it home in a very practical way. And really, this affects how we do everything else. God's mercy. God's mercy. Let me, uh, let me start this way. I have a friend, Dave. Uh, my friend Dave, uh, 
used to say, I, I, we would kid around and he would say, you know, Tim, if you ever had me preach for him, I never did have Dave, uh, fill the pulpit for me, but he said, if you ever had me preach for you, I, I know what I'm going to preach on. This is going to be the title of my sermon. My sermon is going to be one sentence long. I know you guys can say, Hey, let's have Dave fill in for you next time you're not here. Uh, but he said, this is the title of my sermon. I would get up. I would say this and I'd sit down. This is what he'd say. I would say, repent, you filthy sinner. That was going to be a sermon. Now, if I'd ever called him on a Sunday morning saying, Dave, I got the flu. Can you fill the pulpit for me? I think he probably would have uh, uh, got sick right there. Uh, he probably would have done it. I doubt that he would have preached that sermon, though. But repent, you filthy sinner. Paul kind of had said that earlier in uh, earlier in, in Romans when he said, hey, we're all, we're all guilty. We're all uh, sinners. In fact, in another place he said, none righteous. No, not one. Only Jesus was the only one. That was without sin. Now, there are, there are a couple groups of people, actually variations of both of these, but, but there's kind of two groups of people here this morning. There's some people here this morning that, uh, and I think this is very, very few, quite honestly, uh, but there's some people here this morning that maybe think they've got it all together. They've got it figured out. There, there's some people here this morning that might see themselves, if they were to define themselves, they would say, well, I am, I'm spiritually mature. I've got it figured out. I'm doing pretty good. I understand what God wants from me, and I'm doing what he wants. I've got it figured out. I'm doing pretty good. There, there's some people that fall in that camp, and there's some, probably this is a bigger group of the people here, there's some of you here this morning that say, I don't have it figured out. Um, if, if Dave preached, repent, you filthy sinner, repent, you filthy sinner, you would have been thinking, hey, he's talking directly to me that sermon it was meant for me because i am a filthy sinner the truth is there's shade of both of these uh, and the reality is some of you who might say yep i'm that filthy sinner you're looking at a lot of the rest of the people in the church and you you're defining them thinking they've got it all together but let me point something out catch this i don't care if you identify as a filthy sinner or if you identify as a spiritual giant. I don't care if you're here today and you think, man, I am the worst. I mean, if we lined up, I'm at the end of the line. If I make it to heaven, it's going to be through the, by the skin of my teeth. Truthfully, it's by the blood of Jesus. But uh, but that's what you, man, I am the last in line. And you're looking at at some of the other people here and you're like, man, they are way up. They are really good. They're, they're, they're spiritual giants. Now catch this. Whether you identify as a filthy sinner or a spiritual giant, according to what Paul's already taught us, we are all in the same boat. And it's sinking. See, Paul has already said that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and no matter how you see yourself, and, and we're gonna, if you see yourself as a spiritual giant, we're gonna talk about that here in a minute too, but, but if you see yourself as a sinner or a giant, or if you look at other people and you think they've got it all together, know this. What Paul has told us is that we don't. We're all in the same boat. And we're all bailing, trying to get out of a sinking boat until God's mercy comes in. What's that tell us about God? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, See, it's God's mercy that takes care of us. So, so whether you are a uh, you are a sinner, wh- whether you ad- identify that way, 
or if or if you're a spiritual giant and uh and, and if you're a spiritual giant just kind of look to your left or right real quick spiritual giants do that i was kind of watching to see if anyone actually did that i don't know if anyone's head moved uh the, the person to your right your per- they're, they're probably sinners we're all in the same boat in need of god's mercy so the the second word that and and there's like I said there's a ton of great there, there's four or five sermons in just this text but let me point out one other thing that he says there that kind of tells us a little about about God. We're covered by his mercy. Then it says this. Uh, then you'll be able to test his test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, so the second word I want to point out there is his will. Uh, this is going to kind of lead us to our next point. But uh, there's a couple ways that you can interpret that text. You can interpret that to mean, hey, what he's talking about is us trying to figure out what, what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live, and, and, and that's probably accurate. But we could also interpret it a, a, a little bit of a different way as well and interpret it this way, that w- what he's talking about there is God's plan. Then we'll be able to test and approve what God's plan is, his good and pleasing and perfect plan for your life, what God has desired for you. Uh, Several of you were raised on farms, and, and I, I, I would assume that you can remember, you can remember the first time. Uh, some of you, I, maybe it was when you're seven, eight, nine years old. I, I don't know. For me, it was 13, but some of you can remember the first time that your dad or your grandfather, whoever it was, said to you, go, hey, go get on the tractor and head out to the field by yourself. Now, now you probably had, some of you guys had and gals had been driving the tractor since you were were little, but your dad was sitting there on the fender with you. Now I date myself because when when I was growing up, we didn't have cabs on our tractors, and you sat on the fender, and uh, you weren't in air conditioning. And dad, but so I, I was little when dad sat on the fender, and I drove the tractor, and he made sure I didn't get in trouble. But uh, so so some of you might remember that, or or maybe maybe dad put you on the tractor, but he was on another tractor in the same field. Or grandpa was sitting in a truck watching or something like that. But, but I bet some of you can remember that first time that you went out totally by yourself. I was about 13 years old and my dad had told me one night, Hey, Tim, I want you to go the next day. Again, this is going to date me. I want you to go the next day and, and disc a field. You guys don't disc fields anymore. Do you? Yeah, that's, that's, I don't even know what you do to them anymore. But, but I, I, we used to plow and disc and, and dad said, Hey, I want you to go to this field. And he told me it was Harvey's field and, lady that owned it and said i want you to go and diss that field and man i was excited because that was going to be the first time that i had ever done it by myself no one around that morning about six o'clock in the morning my dad woke me up he was getting ready to go to work and he he woke me up the way he did it was he pulled my toe so grandkids you know i pop your toes that's what i get grandpa champs the one that taught me that um so he reached in and pulled my toe, get up, Tim. And man, I popped up like that because this is an important day. I'm going to, I'm going to disc a field all by myself. Man, I jumped up, threw my clothes on, went out and got dad's truck. I was 13 years old in, in, in Illinois. You had to be 16 to drive legally. So yes, I was driving illegally. I drove the six miles out to my grandparents' house. Grandma and grandpa were having breakfast. I sat down and ate a couple pieces of toast and a, and, and a piece of bacon. And then man, I, I couldn't wait any longer. I said, I got to get to work, guys. And, and I went out and I fired up the uh, Alice Chalmers 185. And I can still see and I can still smell that puff of diesel, that black diesel, diesel smoke that, that went in the air. And I, I vroom, vroom a couple times and I backed up and headed down the road with my massive 12 foot disc on the back of that. We were small farmers, guys. Come on. And, uh, man, I thought I was something. 
And you know what I really was thinking? You know what really was hitting my mind? My dad believes in me. Dad believes in me. Tell us a little bit about God when it says you'll be able to test and prove what his will is. And, and if he's talking about God's plan for your life, and, and he could be there, in part what we catch about God is that, that he has a plan for us. He's going to use us. So, so we get practical. We, we learned all this stuff. Huh? There's sin and there's judgment and there's, there, there's mercy for us. God's mercy covers us and he has a plan. And that's how God sees us. And, and so it leads us in the next thought, the next idea is how we see ourselves. Look at, look at verse three, uh, following down for a few verses. For, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you are, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him prophesy, or let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. I, I, I think we get practical here, and Paul points out how we should see ourselves. And in two ways, we should have the right position. In in the Roman church that Paul was writing to, there there were two groups. There were a group of people that that were tempted. I don't know if they did this, but they were tempted to see themselves as spiritual giants. They were Jews, so they had that heritage. They'd become believers, so they 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 were tempted to see themselves maybe a little more important than they should. And the second group in that church was the filthy sinners. That was the Gentile Christians. Well, they, they were making it by the skin of their teeth. And, and so Paul speaks to them. And he says, hey, you need to see yourself in the right position. Don't think more highly of yourself. Don't, don't see yourself higher than you should. Instead, instead, see yourself as part of the body. Just as before God's mercy... We were in a sinking boat. Now, because of God's mercy, we're in the same body. And each one of us is a part of it. Verses 4 and 5 there, and if you want to, I'm not going to read it, but if you want to look at some companion verses, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and following. It says almost the same thing, just kind of expands a a little bit, and Paul illustrates a little bit better there. Uh, But but we're all part of the body. And... uh, 2015, the Royals won the World Series. A lot of you guys were Royals fans and remember that. Let me, let me just give you a chance to thought. Who, who is your favorite Royal? Someone just toss out your favorite Royal from 2015. Perez. You're your daddy's daughter, aren't you? Who? Eric Hosmer, a Hosmer fan. Yeah. Did you do the do? Gotta have the Hosmer haircut. Anyone else? Joel, my son's here. Who's your? Salvi, okay. Salvi, oh, just because of the splash. That's the only reason you liked him. So, anyone else? The whole pitching staff that year in comparison. Okay. Hey, hey, that team had some cool guys on it. Who can forget Alex Gordon's ninth, uh, ninth inning, uh, one to nothing game, hit the uh, home run that tied it up in the ninth. We went on to win that game. 
Was that that? Yeah, that was. It wasn't. Okay. We were down by one, and he had a home run that tied it up. Okay, got it, Joel. Thank you. You were there, so you apparently thinks he knows what he's talking about. Uh, who, who can forget? Tell me if I'm right. Hosmer slide into home that tied the game. Yep, and that was in New York. Who can remember Moose's hitting home run? Salvi being the MVP. Ben Zobris, my wife's favorite guy on the t- Johnny Cueto and his weird wind up and delivery and, and, and boy, we could use him now. Wade Davis, the, the, the last called third strike to, to win the World Series. But you know what? I bet none of you thought, didn't even cross your mind to say this guy. Not Alcides Escobar, yeah. Did, did you know there's a guy, a 20-year-old guy on the team? He made his debut, I believe it was in the World Series. His first name was Raul. Does anyone remember who that was, Raul? Raul Mondesi. Now, we don't call him that now. He plays for the Royals. Uh, he changed his name to Alberto Mondesi now. But Raul Mondesi was a 20-year-old rookie. called up. I don't even I, – I, he may have pinched ran once or something in the game. Really didn't do a whole lot for the team that year, but he, I, I can still see him when they'd flash over to the, du- the dugout and read it and always say, who's that guy? Cause I have no idea. I didn't know who it was, but he was on the team and forever Raul Mondesi, and this will probably be the only one, forever Raul Mondesi can walk in with this big old honking ring on his finger that says 2015 World Series champions and say, I was part of that team. Now, now, Salvi probably did a little bit more. Yeah, Gordon was a, a little bigger piece of the of the team. The pitching staff, you know, they struck guys out. Monesey was just on the team, but but forever he's a part of the body. He's a part of the team. Uh, so so when we see ourselves, we see ourselves in in the right position that. The way God sees us, some of us have gifts that are used differently than others, but we're all on the same team, and and we have to see it with the right purpose. This is going to lead us to the next point. Let me ask two questions. I'll I'll I'll, I'll just toss them out and let you kind of mull them over later. Let me ask you two questions. What's your gift? Because he talked here. He said if it, that we have different gifts. If if it's uh, prophesying, prophesy, serve, serve, teach, teach, give, give. Uh, what's your gift? I, I know we, we labor over that in the church and we, we discuss, we read books, we try to figure it out. I, I, I think the reality is we overstress this and we make it a lot more difficult. I think God's given us hearts and we know what our heart is. So, so what's your gift? And here's the second question. Here's the second application. And, uh, are you using it? Cause I think that's really what he's after here. So it gets practical. We know all this important stuff, but what's your gift? You're, you're part of the body. So whether you are the, the, the starting catcher or you're a sub on the bench, we're all sort of part of that body. And what's your gift and are you using it? And let's look at the last point and then we'll be done here. Uh, verses 9 through 13 kind of sums up with this idea of sincere love. Verse 9 said, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. God has mercy on us and has a plan on 
plan for us. We, we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, but remember, we're all part of, of a body, and God's going to use you within the body. And now he gets, now he gets super practical. Is our love sincere? What he means there, what the verses literally mean there is, is your love, is your love pure? Is your love pure? I, I told this story or used this illustration in Mexico when we were talking about this, uh, uh, this verse. Uh, when, when Joel and, and my boys were, were younger and we'd go to Mexico, all the kids, we had a bunch of high school kids would go on our trip. They would all go when we, we would go to the market, uh, in Mexico, they would go and buy sunglasses. They would buy, oh, Joel, just tell me, what kind of sunglasses did you buy? They weren't fake. They were real Oakley's. Joe, come on. You, you could buy a, a pair of Oakley sunglasses complete with a little leather or imitation leather pouch that held them in for, for seven bucks. I think we got them six to seven bucks a pair. Uh, and, and we would have kids go every year buy those, uh, Oakley's. Now he was right. They were fake. They weren't real Oakley's, but man, they, they, they said Oakley on the side and they were cool. My wife, I pointed this out. My wife, on the other hand, uh, would, she never bought fake Oakley. She would go up to the shop up in the upper part of the, the, uh, of the, uh, the, the market. Thank you. Couldn't get the word. I want to say Mercado and I couldn't think of the English word. I don't know why. With this one store and she would buy jewelry. She didn't buy fake stuff. She bought real silver jewelry and she knew it was real because it had the numbers 912, 925. That's close. Had the numbers 925. It might as well have said 921. Uh, had the numbers 925, and someone told her if it had 925 stamped on it, it was real. I pointed this out to her a couple weeks ago at the mission trip. It was real. She let her believe that. Okay, okay. Of course, I'm thinking if you can put a fake Oakley stick on a pair of sunglasses, you can stamp something 925 or whatever that was. Of course, that said, I just realized this today, though. We always buy vanilla, so I guess that vanilla could be fake too. So when you guys, we bring back vanilla for some of you, maybe that's not real vanilla. I don't know. Uh, everything he talks about comes down to this. Our love must be sincere. Our love must be pure. It must be real. And if it is, two things happen. We see people in need. It's, it's great if we know that we're sinners in need of salvation. It's great if we know that that God has mercy for us. But when it really gets practical, it's is is your love sincere? Do you see people in need? Before we crossed the border a couple of weeks ago in, into Mexico, we prayed in the parking lot of Sam's there in El Paso, and I asked Kevin Thompson to pray. And Kevin prayed for uh, several things, but one thing that Kevin said in his prayer was, "God help us be the hands and feet of Jesus." The next, uh, the next hour, about an hour later, we were in church at Pastor Ezekiel's church, uh, in a, in a and Pastor Ezekiel summed up what he was saying there by saying, Hey, you guys are the hands and feet of Jesus. I thought, well, that's cool that they, they, they both talked about the same thing. The reality is what he's saying is that we have to see the need. And then finally, kind of what he points out here. Verse 13, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. We have to do something. See the need, but then do something. Uh, worship team, if you want to come on up. Uh, when we were in Mexico uh, 
two weeks ago, the first day, Monday morning, we arrived at the 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 work site. We got there about six fifteen in the morning. We pulled up outside, and uh, and the the gate was uh, they had a sliding gate. It was closed, and the door was locked. Uh, and we we got out, and Andrea uh, Stock, who was leading our group, got out, and she went and stood at the gate. And I'm, I'll never forget what she said. That car wasn't here Friday. We had just a small area that we were going to be able to work in, in the little courtyard, and there was a car parked there. Uh, Andrea had been there the Friday before to scout the site. In fact, she called me from uh, from a napper that Friday morning and said, hey, I'm in a napper. I just saw the site that we're going to build at. I was on the site with Andrea, and I just looked at the site, and uh, it's flat. That's always one of the first things. If it's flat, that's good. And I said, it's flat. It's going to be a great site. And so, so we pull up that day, and she says, that car wasn't here Friday. So so we we're standing there and some people the the owners come out and they get out and we we have someone translate or Linda translate for her, say can you move the car and and the guy basically said yeah but it doesn't start so we open the gate and we get in the front and we push the car out in the road and we push it down a little ways up against the fence down the road and we begin working a little bit later I look down and and Jaime the the dad of the family Jaime's down at that car and he's he's buffing it out it's it's an old Ford uh, Ford Comet. And I, it was pretty rough looking, and but he's buffing that thing out. Some of you have, may have saw on Facebook.